Good morning, everybody. This is Will Richardson in San Francisco. Welcome to the 10X Advisor podcast. Today, I'm really excited to be with Paul Bourbonier of Paulson Bourbonier Financial in Toronto. And Paul has been in business uh, for over 20 years. He and his firm manage uh, north of $450 million in, in assets. And right now, they are a finalist for a very... Uh, important uh, award from Wealth Advisors as one of the top planning organizations in, in all of Canada. So that's really exciting and uh, looking forward to our discussion today. Welcome, Paul. Well, thanks, Will. Look forward to uh, participating. Definitely. Well, you know, one of the things that you and I talked about the other day that I think is really interesting is if you could reflect a little bit on how you're spending your time now compared to when you got started in the business and before you were uh, or when you first started working with Dan Sullivan as a coach? Well, certainly uh, way, way, way back when. I've been working with Dan since, uh, well, I guess the 1980s, which, uh, you know, Dan likes slow learners with cash, and I suppose that's what uh, category we fall into. And and the catalyst for looking for some sort of outside guidance was the ceiling and complexity that, that we were hitting at that time. And when I look at the size of the business and the uh, the assets or the revenue or the, the type of work we were doing relative to the effort, um, it's absolutely astounding how inefficient we were and or conversely how um, efficient we've become by virtue of employing some of the um, uh, coach concepts. And so that's been a, been a huge thing. But one of the early concepts was this idea of unique ability. And clearly when we're trying to do all things for all people all the time and spending a whole lot of time on on stuff that we have no business touching uh, that's where the energy and the time was being drained and so the unique ability uh, process and I'll call it a process because the unique ability that we thought we had back in say the 1990s versus what it is today has certainly evolved Uh, things that I thought were part of my unique ability back then um, I found very recently, very easy to delegate, and in fact, almost to the point where what in the world was I even spending my time doing that for, because I found people that are clearly faster, better, more proficient, and freeing me up for what my current version of unique ability is. Well, it's it's interesting, so it sounds like it's things that, that were exciting to you 5, 10, 20 years ago, now... You, you've evolved and you're doing more and more interesting things. Uh, it sounds like a really a progressive thing that's happening. Well, so much of determining unique ability is, is uh, through client and, and uh, team member feedback. And so I think as we uh, sort of got rid of a lot of the extraneous stuff, more and more, you're kind of peeling back the layers. And maybe some of the layers that we thought were unique abilities were, in fact, layers to be peeled back to find find the essence. I mean, a classic example would be, at one point, I thought um, creating uh, client solutions on the financial planning software, because I like to play around with it, was, uh, was one of my unique abilities. And in fact, that is one of the main things I've been able to delegate. And my uh, planning assistant who looks after that stuff is far more proficient at, at doing that than I am. And my unique ability now is the ability to uh, establish trust and, and uh, build uh, strong relationships. And so I've had total strangers come up and say, you know, I really am amazed at the kind of questions you ask, or you ask really great questions. I, well, that's that's the essence of uh, discovering 
or, or establishing a relationship is, is getting to know people, listening to the answers to those questions and asking the right questions. So, so that's uh, been a really powerful uh, evolution in our firm. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that. You know, one of the things when uh, we had a conversation with Dan for this podcast was that he he said that in his mind the the ten times advisors are the ones that are able to consistently ask ask clients great questions uh, questions that clients can't answer themselves as a way to demonstrate value. And I think his point is there's plenty of answers out there, but asking the right questions are how to really differentiate. Are you finding that to be the case when you sit down with people that, you know, perhaps other advisors have had a different focus than what you have with them? Well, certainly, yes. I think the short answer is yes, because asking questions is something that, though we acknowledge is key to our roles, not sure how often that's really done, or it's superficial because it sets the stage for the advisor to spew, you know, whatever party line they want to spew, and, and, and we really don't listen. Uh, as I say, it's more of a conversation cue than a real fact-finding device. So one of the things that we make sure that we do is when we're asking a question, we have a reason, and um, and we want to hear the answer, and we want to explore the answer. Um, so in our case, when we go through the DOS conversation and uh, you know other, other aspects of, of, of communicating, we just make sure that, that uh, things that maybe based on some previous experience or maybe just missing pieces, but it, we try to get away from the conventional, you know, what, uh, you know what's, what's your idea of risk or how risky are you or something. I mean, that, those are just meaningless questions because there's so much a function of what's going on that day. We ask, we ask values-based questions that should transcend whatever's happening to the headlines or the markets or, or you know, the, uh, the, you know the, the newspaper headlines of the day, and, and that's where you get into the essence because values don't move nearly as much as, as short-term attitudes about stuff, uh, and you try not to guide a, a, a plan based on stuff. You want to you dig into the client's values and, uh, and concerns. Well, it's, it's interesting, you know, to hear you say that a lot of times people are asking questions, but they're really driving it. So what, what I heard you say is it's more about you're just genuinely curious about what their values versus having a, an, an agenda in mind. And, and I'm imagining, is that, has that been a progression over time for you to, to get better well, sure. at being curious? Yeah, well, I, I would say so because, we, you know, we're, and depending on what sales trading we've had way back in the beginnings of our careers, it would sort of be never ask a question you don't know the answer to. Well... I, I'll, I'll turn that upside down because I think those are the questions you want to ask. I mean, you should be prepared for an answer to come out of the blue that you're not expecting um, because that's that's the essence of new knowledge. That's the essence of, of, uh, of uh, new insights into what uh, the, the, the client is thinking. And so I think that you should welcome surprise answers because the more comfortable the client is in the conversation, the more they're likely to sort of drop the kimono, as it were, and... and uh, let you know what's what's really on their mind. Well, that's a, that is a, a great point, and you know, it reminds me of something that on the the mindset scorecard that, that you completed. And anybody listening that wants to do that, it's at 10xadvisorpodcast.com. It's just a scorecard that measures mindsets that the top advisors have. And one of the comments that you made, Paul, was the the rareness of, of wisdom in the world today, and the the uh, over overwhelming amount of data. So, can you talk about your philosophy around that idea? 
Yeah, it was, this came from a conversation I had with a, with a friend of mine who's uh, in the media, uh, surprisingly, and, and he was talking about the change in his world, and this, now this is several years ago, uh, on the onset of, of digital media, where he said, you know, his, his job used to be one of hunting around for scarce uh, facts and turning them into information. And he says now it's filtering so many facts and data pieces and trying to make some sense of it all. And that, that resonated with me. And so um, when people come in, I mean, you know they've been bombarded either across the backyard fence or from uh, you know people on the golf course or the news media, whatever. And you know a lot of it is is designed not to inform. It's not designed. It's designed to entertain and and sell eyeballs to the uh, to the advertisers. So um, we try to sort of clear out that clutter and, and remind folks that there's still an underlying plan or philosophy that's, that isn't changing and um, almost turn our places into a bit of a, a, bit of a you know, safe house and that uh, conversations in here that people come in, uh, as I say, whether they're worried about something, often those worries are, are superficial, but they're very profound at the, at the moment. And we try to, to deal with them and get them back on track and a sense of, of confidence. Um, one of the great words that, that Dan uses a lot, and, and we do too, is confidence. It's such a powerful thing. If you have confidence, um, you, can, you can deal with a lot of issues. I mean, one of our bylines that uh, we use, in fact, it's on our uh, window of our uh, conference room is choose to be worry-free. So this empowers the individual that they have control, that they can do things in their everyday lives, and we can help them, remind them of these these tools and the skills that they have so that they can be worry-free. They can choose to be worry-free. It isn't something that happens by accident. And so um, when, when people are being bombarded by a lot of stuff, to be the filter, to be the Let's take all this stuff and, and, and turn it into what is it relevant for you and, and does it fundamentally affect your long term. That's the conversation. Or, or when we leave, we want to make sure that, that their, their situation is less cluttered than before. Well, you mentioned uh, something that I know is really important to your process and the, word, uh, the words worry-free. So can you describe the unique process that you've built and trademarked and what that, what that looks like today? Well, basically, it follows the uh, six-step uh, financial planning process. So we've we've taken the generic chassis, if you will, and we've uh, changed the terminology and the reference points to make it more um, user-friendly or client-friendly. Uh, our client base uh, predominantly are retired people, so you know the idea of uh, worry-free is actually a phrase that you hear very often in that uh, demographic, and so that's where we. We picked it up from. In fact, it was a 78-year-old gentleman who uh, came up with the phrase, and uh, we said, you know, that 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 resonates, and we tested it and made sense. So, um, you know, we, we we don't say we're now going to go through the the six-step process, or we're going to go through a DOS conversation. You just begin the conversation. It has to be client-focused. You have some areas you want to explore to make sure that you have the the, the total financial picture or and the lifestyle picture. But, um, you know, that, that's really sort of how we go about it. It's, it's the beginnings of a conversation and, and a relationship. And I guess, uh, you know, the uh, listeners can't tell, but, uh, you know, my partner and I are in our uh, 60s, and uh, um, so there's a, perhaps a little bit of, of uh, affinity there because they, they don't deal with sort of 30-year-old kids in their mind. Uh, you know, an 80-year-old looking at a 60-year-old, there's a little bit of commonality perhaps, and there's a little bit of comfort that maybe we know what we're 
uh, talking about. So, so maybe that helps a bit. But uh, we get into we can speak their language, and um, and they're comfortable opening up and, and letting us really know what it's about. So I think that's the. Uh, but as I say, behind it, if you peeled back the layers of the questions, is the uh, financial planning process, and so. Um, you know, we keep, uh, and that makes gives a consistency to what we're trying to achieve, because the firm has a process. This isn't a each advisor has his or her own process, and so that's why it's important to have a a, a firm culture and a firm process. Well, and it, I was just thinking, there, there's so many strategic coach concepts behind what you just said, and so it's the you guys call it the the, the worry-free re- retirement experience, right? That's correct. So if. And- is, do you do you think that having a cool name for it and standardizing the process is that do you do you find that that resonates? Do the clients um, come in and, and use those phrases now that you've built that that name around it? Well, absolutely. And what it does, it's uh, you know you made reference to a number of the the coach tools. Uh, when we first came up with it, um, we were really um, taking advantage or using the the eighty twenty. Uh, rule because we we said let's get this out there. We knew we wanted to identify our brand. And we knew we wanted to what we have in the office and throughout is is sort of a circle and and uh, each of the uh, six processes are are highlighted inside circles around the the, the graphic and so every time whether they're waiting in the, the clients waiting in the waiting room or we're in our boardroom or even in at an advisor's office um, that poster is there with the with the process and so it does. Um, and that's happened after two or three iterations, and, and uh, so you know we've gone through a couple of, of 80%. But everybody sort of knows the process that we're going through, and occasionally we make specific reference to it. But usually um, it's, it's more of a subliminal thing, so that uh, people know that there is a process involved, and I think that gives them some uh, some uh, comfort and confidence. There's that confidence word again. That is. I mean, it's some, when you when you've been describing that, it almost sounds like that's that's what they're buying, isn't it? They're they're buying the confidence. Yes, yeah, so we we wanted to build a firm that that was multi generational, so we now have uh, you know certainly two generations and uh, soon to add a third generation from an advisory point of view because um, individuals who are you know sixty five, seventy, seventy five don't want to go through an advisor change in five or ten years, so. You know, I'm very comfortable looking them in the eye and saying that I'm going to be basically as round as long as you will because um, for that very reason. But we also have a, uh, a desire to work with, with the clients' children and grandchildren and, in fact, great-grandchildren, and I forget the number now. I think it's six or seven families of four generations that, that, uh, that we're now working with. Um, but it's uh, and so we're building a multi-generational firm here so that was one of the objectives and they the clients appreciate that and in fact one of the things that we find is when we do a state of the union type letter or email or talk to them about what we're doing going forward and how we're in a growth mode and in my case how I'm at the early stages of a 25 year uh, growth plan that not only are they, they reassured, but amazingly, the referrals spike uh, after that because they realize, okay, these people are around for the long term, and and uh, yes, they should get to know my my daughter who's having financial issues or whatever it happens to be. So it's a it's a very uh, very powerful message and and one that uh, really cements the relationship. 
Well, you, you and I know about the 25-year plan, and we know that Dan Sullivan's working on his, that he started at age 70, and that he's going to be more ambitious at 95 than 70. So I, what I'm curious about, and that's, you know, in the strategic coach community, we're all familiar and working on that. So when you say that, let's say you, you, when you tell somebody, let's say if, you're, if you started a 25-year plan at 60, and, and you're talking to somebody that's 70, that's retired, what, how, do they, um, how do they respond to that? Well, I think that they respond in a, probably in the back of their minds, they're probably saying, oh, yeah, but, you know, we all know that obviously he's successful, so, you know, he doesn't need to do it for the money, and maybe he's just saying that to, to, to make me feel uh, good. But so I think when you when you say, well, it's, it's a demonstrable proof or, or something that we can point to and say, well, specifically, this is what we want to do over the next 20, 25 years, and these are the plans that were in place. Then now it starts to get a little meat on the bones. Now they realize, okay, this isn't just talk. This is this is a commitment. And then we explain how we've brought on the second generation and how the the third is is uh, soon to to appear on the on the firm. It's 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 dramatic proof that it's happening. And then um, uh, you know usually the answer is well that's good to hear. And and so I think it's but it's something that we always have to repeat uh, because um, you know you you. These people are often running into the same issue with, like, their doctors, their dentists, their lawyers. Uh, you know, are you going to be around? Uh, you know, some professions seem to be a little more uh, prone to retirements than others. But uh, you know, the the lawyer that one of the lawyers we refer clients to is about my age, and he says hey, there's no, not a chance he'd ever retire. So I think there has to be a real. Um, but it's something you have to communicate all the time. You have to remind them that, that okay, now we're in year four of that 25-year plan kind of a thing. And in my case, that takes me to 85 uh, at the 25th year, and, and we can paint a picture. I mean, uh, one of the, the little lines we always throw at a client when it's their birthday, uh, you know, say they're turning 80 or something like that, I say, well, that's fantastic, Fred. Uh, do you know what you want to be when you grow up? And they sort of chuckle about <laughs> that. And, 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 and but, it's, but it sort of gives that sense of... Uh, you know, they, they're still a, they still have a big future. I mean, that's one of the, the mindsets we look for, the filters we look for. And it's another concept that I loved about uh, uh, the, the coach ethos and ecosystem is this concept of bigger futures. And uh, we try to impart that. And, and sometimes it's an uphill battle with folks that are, you know, into a traditional retirement phase. But uh, the fact that there's still some things that they can achieve or want to achieve, uh, it excites them sometimes. And we try to be part of that that growth pattern for them as well. Well, that is that is exciting, and, and I'm just imagining that you're inspiring them and, and helping them see and really think differently about their own experience and what's what's possible by modeling it. And, and as you say, showing them that you're serious. It's not just <laughs> it's not just something you, you're saying. And well, our, our typical client is you know it's called the millionaire next door. Uh, you know, we were chatting. Uh, you come from a city of, of crazy real estate prices as as we do here, and so you know people that would have uh, you know modest. I mean, our our sweet spot is is sort of that uh, you know million to five million range, and and uh, a lot of people are falling into that by virtue of just selling their house that uh, you know ten years ago was six hundred thousand, and today it's two million, and. Uh, uh, they they sell that to move into a retirement home or a rental or a condo and and uh, you know all of a sudden they look at this money and they look at their statements and and they say you know I we bought our first house in 1954 for thirteen thousand dollars and if you had said that uh, you know I'd be looking at this number today they they just it's not real to them they just can't fathom it and so 
uh, we try to not only convince them that it's real, but you know, introduce some potential possibilities in, in charitable work or multi-generational financial planning that uh, you know, absolutely you know, they can't spend it, but there are things that uh, we can do to it other than send it off to the government, and so that's a lot of what we do. Well, that's a great that's a great transition because one of the <laughs> you and I were talking about this the other day this idea of tax mitigation and you had it was a great philosophy I'd love to have you describe it about you know clients pay you X to save <laughs> a larger number on on taxes can you can you a you much know, larger number <laughs> that's right well well you know it's 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 interesting because. Um, uh, as with, uh, you know, the states in, in Canada, there, there's this emphasis or increasing, there's an attempt to make the emphasis on, on fees. And, and we're prepared to, to fight that battle because uh, when we went fee-based, we actually increased our fee schedule and uh, uh, clients didn't bat an eye. And, and uh, so we're, uh, we're pretty comfortable. We just went through a, uh, a regulation change uh, that by, at the end of 2016 clients received a statement of uh, each account and it was not only rate of return which is fine and and the fee amount which as opposed to being a percentage was an actual dollar amount so clients were getting letters from the dealers saying that on this account you paid x in advisory fees and there was a lot of you know concern that that would be a huge issue in our case it wasn't in fact we had started that process two years earlier so that it was old hat by the time it came around officially but anyway, so back to your question. In, uh, in Ontario, where I'm based, uh, the potential tax rates, depending on the income level and the type of income, is anywhere from 0% tax to 54% tax. And so, um, and yet the fees we're worried about is the difference between, say, 1% and 2%. And so I say, you know, fees are important, and absolutely we think it's a, it's a component we have to pay attention to. But, uh, Mrs. Klein, let's, let's also realize that, uh, you know, in Ontario, your income be taxed anywhere from 0% to 54%. And the closer we can keep you to zero and the further away from 54, isn't that the big number we should be worried about? Isn't that going to be more uh, impactful to your life than whether your portfolio costs 1.5 or 1.4%? And that just puts it into perspective. And it's kind of like, oh, yeah, well, of course. Okay, well, then, you know, I... That's, that's where we want to go, and let's talk about how we can get you, you know, reduce that tax burden. Of course, this time of year, they're getting their, their assessment notices from the tax department because they've already filed their 2016 stuff, and we say, okay, let's, let's look at this and let's make sure that that number never increases again. And that just changes the whole conversation, and it puts us on, you know, their side of the table. I, I say that my, my meeting table for clients is a round table because I don't believe in sides of the table, but... Um, Mentally, we are clearly advocating for them and on their side, and that's very important. Well, there's there's a lot of intentionality there. You're 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 creating a certain space for your clients. You're creating value for them, and you're <laughs> you're getting them to realize that you're creating a multiple of value for what they what they pay you. And in this um, this this regulation, as you explained it to me, it's basically. Is it that you had to, it was more than, if you're paying 1% on a $2 million account, as, as I think you explained it to me, you now have to say, you're paying us $20,000. Is that essentially what the change was? That's correct. And, and the statement is by account. So if you've got two or three different types of accounts, uh, you'll get two or three different uh, uh, statements. And um, 
so it's, I mean, the whole idea, I'm sure the regulators would love to prove to the world that the reason why people aren't retiring comfortably is because advisors are overpaid. I mean, we all know the bureaucrats' mindset, hmm. but um, we're turning it into a positive because we can easily, if, if we had to develop a scorecard with financial numbers on it, um, I'm completely convinced that, that uh, it would be one of the best investments ever this, are the fees that, uh, that we're paid. And uh, as I say, the, the, we, we suffered no pushback, no let's sit down and renegotiate these things. Um, so, so obviously there's a perception of value or we would have gotten a lot more uh, comments on it. And, uh, you know, we, we didn't see any, any um, clients leave. I mean, we rarely do. So there just was no sense that, that this is an injustice being perpetrated on the client and, and we've got to do something about this. So, I mean, I think it was... Uh, uh, very interesting exercise from uh, from that point of view. I mean, we, we one of the things that gives people a sense of confidence is is to know that they have things that they can control. And we always talk about in in like to to narrow it down to just the investment process. There are things that we can control, things we can't. We can't control the markets, um, but what we can control is your response to is the investor behavior. So we can we can help to shape that. And we can, in many ways, through, through proper planning, control the tax rates. So those are things we can control. Let's let the markets do what they're going to do. We don't care about that stuff ultimately. What we do care about are let's identify what we can control and let's make sure that we are doing the things necessary to give the clients a sense of, of confidence and uh, uh, about, about the whole process. Well, you know, we were talking the other day about about value creation, and and you shared some really cool stuff with me that goes well beyond financial planning and asset management, et cetera. So, can you can you describe for us some of the examples of one you shared with me is you have a ninety year old client that has a hard time getting around. So, what what kinds of things well, are you doing there? You know, it's it's as we've uh, my partner Kurt Polson and I have been. Uh, you know, in this marketplace since probably the uh, the mid 1980s, and so the people who were 65 and 70 at that time are now you know they're getting up 85, 90, and and so um, it's it's interesting. In fact, their kids are now getting involved with the with whole retirement phase. But but people at 90 have unique needs, and I don't think society has really dealt with them. I mean, we just didn't have a whole lot of 90 year olds a generation ago, but now we've got people who not only are still around, but they're in reasonably good health, they've got a lot of money, um, and uh, so we want to make sure that our service level deals with a lot of the issues. Uh, when, when people downsize from the big five-bedroom home to a condo or a retirement home, uh, there's, there's 50 to 60 years worth of stuff in the basement. I mean, it's a daunting task to, as soon as you get to the first box of photographs, well, there goes the afternoon because, you know, you're, you're, you're reminiscing. So we've partnered with services um, that will help clean out a, a house. We've got a, there's a great uh, firm in, in uh, I think it's uh, spread to the States too, it's, believe it or not, called Driving Miss Daisy. So this company <laughs> will um, pick up a, a, someone who's no longer driving, and uh, which is good for a whole bunch of reasons. We used to, you know, and, and now we spend a lot of time making house calls. Well, in the car, that's that's not efficient use of our time. So what we're now in the process, as we speak, doing is is looking at these types of companies, driving Miss Daisy and the like, where they will pick up the client at their home 
and unlike a taxi or whatever, they'll they'll certainly make sure that the you know, the car is clean. In fact, the the type of vehicle they use, they've tested with seniors, so it's easy to get in and out of. Um, they'll come here and uh, they will wait here, or they'll run errands. But uh, our meetings typically last an hour and a half, so they'll come back to the office after an hour and a half. Uh, take the client home. If the client wants to stop at a coffee shop or pick up something on the way home, they'll they'll facilitate that. So we're helping to foster and preserve the the client's independence, and not have the dependency on um, you know the shuttle bus at the retirement home or you know some of the typical ways these people get around. And it's sort of an Uber for seniors, I guess, but uh, it's it's packaged in such a way that. If they have to wait at the doctor's office uh, for um, the procedure to be finished, that's that's what these people will do, and they just charge an hourly rate, and um, it's uh, you know it's, it's going to be worthwhile. So there's there's services like that. There are uh, you, you know you, you have to look at um, you, in that case what you're dealing with many times are the 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 client's kids because they're trying to get their own life in uh, you know under control. They've got. Uh, you know their own lives, and maybe they don't live in the same city, so they're worried about how mom is being looked after. Um, so we become almost the eyes and ears for 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 the kids, and so now we're developing a relationship with the with the with the kids of the clients, and and ultimately when they inherit the money, we'll be presumably first in line to uh, to, to look after that stuff. So if you look at once again, what's 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 worrying you? What's on your mind? How do we make you worry-free? You know, that's that's where this comes to. Is I'm lose. You know, I, I'm going to lose my license. I had one lady who, at the age of 80, she uh, I don't know, she passed out on a very hot day. Well, immediately the the doctor who didn't know her very well had her license uh, taken away. She got it back in six months. But for six months, the biggest issue in her life was I can't drive. So if we can address something as simple as mobility. Um, we're we're uh, you know we're being consistent with our our promise to them. Well, I mean that's a great example of 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 giving them things they probably didn't even know exist. I mean how how are people responding when you say we're going to send a driver to pick you up and bring you to our office? How how do they respond when you first offer that to them? Well, it's in it's the early stages, and I'm going to say uh, half of them say, "Oh no, thank you," but don't worry, I'm going to uh, uh, you know I, I can make it there. Or um, some of them have have open accounts with with taxi companies. But I think that uh, as as with anything else, this is this will be sort of word of mouth. The other thing is when they come here, it isn't just a meeting. I mean, you know, we have a little welcome sign in the in our front lobby. Um, our uh, greeter um, Cynthia is outstanding at, at chatting up the, the, the clients. So we want to make sure that if uh, um, you know they, they sort of like the, the the service of us showing up to their house, but we want to make sure that them coming to our office and the fuss that we make over them when they arrive is is a more special event than us making a house call. So they'll say, "Boy, this is this is the way I want to do it from now on." And of course, it's much more efficient allocation of our time. Um, and we can see this only growing as, as clients get older and older and fewer and fewer are able to drive. It's, it's just the beginning of something that may be the standard procedure going forward. Well, you know, you, you mentioned Cynthia, and she's, she's been great to, to work with as we've scheduled things. And, I, you know, when I talked to her a little while ago, I felt like I'd, I know her. You know, we've talked twice in our lives. She was so nice and, and helpful. I can, I'm just picturing when, when your clients come to the office, they, they experience that. And, 
you know, part of what you and I talked about the other day is this idea of how you've built your team using Colby profiles, et cetera. So can you, can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, what that process is like for you and how you've built a great organization around that? Well, it's it's a combination of uh, you know developing your your unique team, but certainly um, the Colby uh, questionnaire process is something that every candidate goes through because we know um, sort of where where our various Colbys are. I mean, I'm an eight uh, quick start and a two follow through, so uh, you know that that sort of uh, a very typical profile I think of many of the uh, coach clients. Um, so we. If I'm starting everything, then we knew that we had people to, to finish. And I must say that the, uh, the the team down at the strategic coach is very, very helpful in interpreting Colby's. Uh, no, you know, it's very often that we'll contact one of them and say, well, you know, we like this person. Here's the Colby. What do you think? And 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 uh, they're very, very helpful at coming back and saying, well, you better be careful about this, or this this would uh, would work. Um, and in, in Cynthia's case, it was a combination of Colby and personality. So, um, you know, we've had Colby profiles that look terrific, and, and the skill set wasn't there. But that's very rare. It's certainly, if if the Colby isn't going to work, um, either we figure out, wait a minute now, then maybe this is, that's not the job description. Maybe this is the set of of tasks. And we've done that before, where the individual is so strong, and we look at the type of work that the Colby profile would suggest and say, well, is that in fact a, a revised job description that would make sense? And um, and in fact, it's, it's worked because we, we certainly know that when everybody likes what they do, when they feel energized by what they do, I mean, the basic Colby, Colby precepts about, um, you know, how you, uh, how you respond to your work, people will look forward to it. Um, as you say, in the case of Cynthia, it, it works for her and, and you know, she'll come in and after a meeting and if so-and-so is looking much better, much worse than say the last time the person was in, she'll say, is, you know, Mr. Smith okay? Or, you know, or geez, he, he looks great or whatever. So there's a real genuine concern beyond just the, 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 the duties of the job. And so there's that magic combination of, of Colby profile and personality that, uh, that we try to make, uh, try to make work so that everybody's really you know, we can't. We're a smaller firm. We've got about 16 people. You know, we can't afford to have people that aren't giving 110 percent all the time. Well, when you when you think about the team that you've put together, so um, and, and if anybody listening isn't familiar with Colby, it's k o l b e dot com. You can spend fifty dollars and get this amazing profile. It'll help you understand a lot about yourself it's really wonderful and the idea to build people around you that are different so it's complimentary so paul when you think about it i mean some of the other people and you mentioned the succession to the next generation working with your clients children etc so what are some of the other roles there do you have other client facing advisors as part of that group of, of 16 in addition to you and your partner yeah well what uh, i guess what we have are our um to use the Mark Tibergen uh, for people who know of him, he, he does a lot of work consulting to to financial planning practices. Um, as opposed to being an ensemble firm, what he would call where everybody pools everything, we have sort of specific teams. And so, uh, you know, Kirk's team and my team are very similar, and Michael Derby's team is is uh, is growing as well. He's the third um, uh, team leader, if you will. And uh, so, we would have the the, the senior advisor. Uh, financial planning um, 
associate who would look after the, uh, the, the smaller accounts, but still accounts that are important. And then in my case, I have a uh, um, financial planning assistant, and uh, he's a one exam away from a CFA, and he's the fellow that uh, does all the technical research and does the, uh, the, the software and the financial plans and participates in the meetings. So, um, um, and then our support staff, you know, we've got, as I say, the, the, the greeters, our concierges out front, we have two of them, uh, Cynthia and Sula, they're both outstanding, and then admin staff in the back, and they're all run by a vice president of operations. So back when we were probably a half or a third our size, um, we made the decision that in order to get uh, uh, the backstage run properly and the front stage run properly that we had to hire a sort of a vice president in charge of the backstage and, and Sue Kelly joined us in 2003 and we gave her full power to hire fire uh, in many ways you know we re report to her to the extent that she runs the entire operation and we went through dealer changes we went through 2008 we went through uh, technological changes um, really without missing a beat because it wasn't on our to-do list. It, it was completely delegated to a very powerful team. And, um, and in fact, there's a lot of things probably that go on that I know Kirk and I are not made aware of because it just isn't relevant to our world and uh, we have total confidence in the, in the, in the process. So um, if we were to look at the ratios, I think probably what we spend on salaries and the number of people we have doing what we do are probably a little higher than the so-called industry average. but. This is a marathon, not a sprint, and uh, you know I can see two or three people a day and go home and uh, go speak to an accounting firm about what we do, and that's that's my world, and pretty pretty uh, comfortable doing that, and uh, so I think it's uh, it speaks well to to uh, you know developing the team properly, and Colby's a part of that for sure. Well, you said something that's interesting, and that is that there's things that happen without you guys being aware, and that would that would suggest that it's working, and, and that decisions are being made that you're not getting involved and that frees you up to do the the things you like which ultimately bring in more more revenue as you say for the for the future and that's uh that's that's got to be exciting for you to know that the backstage stuff is happening without you needing to really be involved all that much well absolutely and what's interesting is is uh, kirk and i have very different colby's and so sue has to uh, sort of juggle that that fact, and, and she knows what uh, what Kirk needs to know and what I need to know. I tend to be a, a big picture kind of a person, and, and Kirk's um, a little more hands on. And so, uh, things that I don't need to know about, she makes sure I don't because um, it's all about uh, it's all about mindset and attitude, and, and uh, uh, you know she just keeps the thing humming so that so that we have confidence, and uh, when we have confidence that that is reflected and spreads throughout the organization. So I think it's very important that the happier we are, the happier everybody else is because, uh, um, you know, we set the pace and and, uh, and sometimes I think we forget that because it's a very flat organization. I mean, everybody's sort of the same and we kid and we kibitz and, and that type of thing. But, but ultimately, you know, it's our signatures on the paychecks, uh, you know, literally or figuratively. And so they, they they look to us for for uh, mood guidance as much as anything else. So it's important that we we always stay positive, and it's a very easy thing to do with uh, with the uh, with the structure that we have. Well, you you mentioned uh, the word mindset a minute ago in relation to you know how everybody's working well together, and 
I'm curious about as you're bringing on clients today and, and you know, continuing to see what, what strategic coach is creating around mindset, scorecards, et cetera, what, what role would you say mindset plays in the clientele that you're attracting today? Yeah, it's, it's a great question, and it's an interesting uh, concept. And one of the great strengths of, of Coach is I always say that uh, at least one of the four sessions a year, they've been following us around and taking notes and, and preparing a workshop explicitly for uh, for our issues. But um, when when Dan or his coaches introduce a concept, in many ways, what it is, it's it's a it's a new way of thinking of something that that has been part of what we do, but in a very fragmented way. And the coach is a great unifying process. Uh, one of the things I really enjoy is there's a there's a consistency or coherence to to uh, to a lot of the concepts. So in mindset, what we're looking for is people that kind of get it. I mean, that's that's how I would describe mindset. Is is does the client get what we're trying to do because if they don't um, you know to an example in, in our industry in financial services you know we're a big believer as an example in, in index type investing and we don't believe in stock picking and, and that's just our thing and, and I know that half the people listening would disagree vehemently with that but if someone comes in and wants to know just how do you pick a how do you pick a company or what are you looking for and and uh, did you see this in the paper or I remember uh, one situation where uh, uh, we were making a house call to this older client, and he had the financial channel on the news, and the wife says, oh, it's on all day long. <laughs> and we had a real heart-to-heart because that kind of attitude, that, that short-term noise is, is important, if you don't get past that, we're not, we're not the, the people you want to deal with. Or um, if they, you know, what do you, you, know, you want to do something about your kids or grandkids, and if there's no sense of, you know, I, I started with nothing, and they're going to start with nothing. Uh, so, so we look for we look for um, you know different characteristics. We can tell in, in the first few conversations whether this is an individual that, that, that's going to get it. So, we're looking for someone who is forward thinking. So, that big future idea. We're looking obviously for people with the financial resources to to make our fees make sense. Um, but we're looking for someone who who is busy, who is interesting to deal with. Um, you know, we, as I said, we have our little welcome sign in the in the reception area in the morning, and I look at that sign, I see who's coming in, I think, oh, that's great. You know, Fred and Nancy are coming in today, or whoever it happens to be, and you think, so, so it's, um, because they have stuff to talk about, or they're doing interesting things, and it's, or they, um, you know, it's, it's the, we're at the stage where we can be picky, and I guess mindset is the tool by which we can filter out the people that, uh, um, just aren't going to make our lives happy. And if, if I look at a name and think, oh, geez, you know, Fred's coming in today. This is going to be fun. I don't want to have those <laughs> types of thoughts. That's just not a way to start the day. And uh, we, we make sure, because then they won't perceive the value. And then at some point when the markets are negative and they get a fee letter saying that they've just spent $20,000 to be down 3%, and they're going to say, wait a minute, this is just not working, and they'll, they'll, they'll walk out the door. So why set yourself up for that kind of a disappointment? So um, it's, it's very important that uh, – and we're actually just in the process now of refining the specific characteristics of, of developing that mindset scorecard so that, you know, in a quantitative way we can say, well, you know, they're, they're not they're – not, uh, you know, they may be, may be a nice personality, but these issues are going to cause problems, and, and maybe we should just ask them to, to – uh, Thanks, but go keep keep uh, keep shopping because we're not going to be the place to uh, to land. Well, that's that's empowering, isn't it? 
Well, it is because once again, you know, back in the beginnings of our careers, if an individual could fog a mirror, then uh, he or she was a prospect. But now, one of the advantages of been in the business for a long time is is that ability to select, and indeed, the ability to deselect. If if someone's coming in and and you just don't look forward to the meeting, you say, you know, um, it's time we you know, have a have a heart-to-heart talk, and, and, uh, and firing clients can be very empowering. It's not something that you look forward to do, but you have to say that what is the effect of this individual on the morale of the team? What is the effect of um, just your professional pride? I mean, if someone's not getting having a better life or not having a worry-free retirement, um, you know, it's uh, time to move on. So, uh, fortunately, it's not something that happens very often, but the way to prevent that kind of conversation is is by having some sort of a filter or some sort of a tool at the outset that, uh, you know, for this kind of person, we are ideal, but for this kind of a person, um, really, you should be uh, looking somewhere else. It almost sounds like you're you're making it, you know, a, a good community to be part of, and you're saying, hey, if this is a good fit, great, we'd love to have you. If it's not, you know, we're, we're only taking on a certain number of people anyway, so you, you'll be better off... Uh, somewhere else and you know you, you mentioned something about you know occasionally as you've grown uh, you've had to perhaps ask people to get off the train so to speak and you know I'm curious if, if there's an example or two that comes to mind of perhaps even a client that was generating good revenue for the business and then when you let them go what was the impact um, on the on the organization whether it was you the team etc. Uh, that's, a, that's a great question I mean it doesn't uh it doesn't happen often. I think. I think um, there was one time, I suppose, where in fact it was the the client's decision to leave, and um, what we didn't push back. And in fact, we we sort of agreed, and we sort of said, you know, that, that by you sort of making that that decision, it saved us from having to ask you to make that decision. Um, and I, I sat down with the team after, and I said, well, let's look at the rules that were broken by having. Joe on board, and there were a number of things. Uh, you know, the the individual had a small account with another advisor. Well, that's that's against the rules, but we let them in anyway. Um, you know, there was conversations about uh, uh, you know stocks or or what about this. So we were actually allowing them to to change our our investment process to accommodate some itch that they wanted to scratch, and it went on and on. It was sort of like like it was such a, a wake up that you know. It showed that our, our 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 filtered work because it was by um, going against some of those rules or breaking some of our rules that the individual was wasn't suitable. So it, it validated our rules and it also enforced or or confirmed that you know th- that that uh, filter's there for a reason and we're going to stick to it. And uh, in fact, one of my projects is to make is to put everybody through that filter and see how close to the edge some people are. And we may want to make some decisions about that. Um, and and I may surprise myself, but I think it's useful to have these tools that are a little more objective. Inertia is a very powerful force, and uh, sometimes that allows you know fuzzy, rough edges to to develop in a in a business. And and it's important from time to time to do a little a little pruning, a little hedge trimming to make sure that uh, everybody's uh, consistent from a qualifications point of view. That makes that makes a lot of sense, and. You know, there's there's another topic that I wanted to be sure we cover just as we get ready to wrap up in the next few minutes, and 
And, and I thought it was quite interesting when you shared this with me the other day, and that is this, this concept of family dynamics and the role that you play within the family and, and how sometimes that it leads to them um, trusting you more than their kids in some cases. So can you, can you talk a little bit about that, some examples of that and what you guys are seeing sure. there? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, they, once again, dealing with a lot of the seniors, one of the first issues that we would uh, or have, have come across is this whole potential problem of, of what we'll call seniors abuse. And it can be family dynamics where, where uh, you know, the kids, and now I'm, when I'm saying kids, I'm talking to people in their 40s and 50s who uh, know that mom's got a ton of money and they want to get a piece of it because um, they're having a financial problem or, or, or whatever. And so, you know, there can be some pressure going as far as, um, you know, can mom, certainly mom can afford to, to lend me money and I promise I'll pay back at a certain rate of interest or things like that. So that, that kind of a dynamic, uh, the whole idea of, uh, and, it can, and the, the pressure can be the other way where, you know, the, the, the daughter isn't visiting me enough and, and you know, they want to they retire and move, uh, move north of the city and, and I'll never see them. And so, um, you know, what can we do about that? So there's a, you have to be involved with that for, for a number of reasons. Number one, because it is a source of worry and therefore to be worry-free, we have to, we have to try to play a little bit of a coach. We have to be careful though, because as a good friend of mine once said, there's three sides to every story. And, and if you get embroiled in, in family disputes, uh, you may, uh, you know, the, the collateral damage could be, could be significant, but it's, it's something that, uh, and, there, and there's some great relationships where, where the kids are, are, as I say, very busy with their own lives and, and they're worried about mom and dad and how they're going to make do. And so if we're the eyes and ears uh, or some additional eyes and ears, uh, they, they really appreciate the input. But, um, you know, from a business point of view, the money is going to the next generation and we want to be part of that transition. So we, we want to get to know the kids anyhow. And as we get to know them, um, and very often they'll show up in meetings with, uh, with the parents. Um, and obviously there's, there's permission to, to share the information back and forth. Uh, and it, it just gives you, a, it just gets you a sense for, for what the issues are. And if we can sort of help, uh, manage some of them and it's very, you just have to be very responsive because it's a, it's a new thing. We don't have a lot of, um, you know, great grandparents living or leaving to, to grandparents when the kids are 70, um, you know that's a, that's a really weird dynamic because we think of kids as being dependent and younger and starting families. Well, when the kids are are worried about their own retirement or starting their own retirement, uh, what is the role of, of uh, you know the the whole transition process? So it's a it's it's interesting stuff because um, it, it, it's family dynamics, it's health, it's uh, lifestyle. You know where to live. Um, services as I say so it's it's a whole area that, that we just find fascinating to explore and uh, and it helps the fact that those 90 year olds often have been working with us for over 20 years so there's there's a huge trust factor there and, and often the um, it, it spills over and, and and the kids feel comfortable working with us as well so it's a it's just it's just kind of it's fun to watch it's fun to be participant but they're there you have to be careful because as I say uh, uh, you don't want to end up uh, um, only hearing one or two sides of a three-sided story. Well, I think if that's the expression I heard, it was uh, the his side, her side, and the truth being the third one. Is that is that the expression? Yeah, yeah I mean that's that, that's basically it. But, <laughs> uh, uh, you know that when uh, when someone is is really uh, 
uh, getting into the details of something that, that you, you want us to figure, okay, where else can I get other information about this before we go forward? Because if we just act on this, this very emotional outburst, then uh, uh, we may find ourselves on the wrong side of, uh, of, of the truth, and, and you're right. So, um, but that's, that's experience, and, and uh, you know, I think that, uh, once again, I think having the, the trust that even we're involved in those conversations, because we're quite certain their accountants or their lawyers are probably not yet. It's, it's us that are doing that. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, we, we're, we're very, it's, it's a confidence that the client shows in us that we are very careful to, to nurture and protect. Um, but we also have to know that sometimes our client is, is maybe the one that's the source of the issue, and, and uh, we may have to be bad cop, too. Well, it's, it's an interesting role that you're playing, and you're doing it in a very effective way. And I was just thinking about, you know, some of these people that are 90 years old probably didn't think they would live that long, so they're fortunate they to have you guys making sure they didn't run out of money. I mean, that's a, that's an important component of well, this. Well, they're looking at their, at their – we had a client in yesterday, and he said, you know, I, I just got out of high school. Um, I'm looking at this, uh, this number here, and I said, not in a million years would I think that at this age I would have this kind of money. And he said, so, you know, whatever you're doing, it's working. And, and, uh, and, and at that time, we don't take a lot of the credit. I mean, we just say, let's, let's be frank, you know, Fred or whoever. You know, you did the heavy lifting by, by saving and by doing without and, and making sure that uh, you were careful with your money. And we're just making sure that we respect the, the efforts that you've put into to building this wealth. And, and so we're very, very uh, quick to, to uh, you know, give the credit where credit is due. Nevertheless, they think we had a part in that, and, and so, uh, you know, that that's great. I mean, we're not going to say, no, we, we didn't have a thing to do with this, but, but we certainly make sure that they feel pretty good about their sense of accomplishment. And, um, but, yeah, it's, it's just a, it's a, it's a whole different reality to them. As you say, if you said 20 or 30 years ago, this is what your age 90 reality is going to be, they, they'd say not a chance in the world. So, um, you know, maybe... That future shock, I guess, is, is something that we have to uh, uh, help them deal with. Definitely. Well, yeah, this this has been a great conversation, Paul. I appreciate you sharing your wisdom with all of us. There's a lot of great takeaways and things that we can all do to, to get better. Thanks for being here with us today. Well, it's been a real pleasure, and uh, look forward to any future contributions, and, and certainly good luck with the, uh, with the podcast. Uh, and uh, for everybody who's uh, part of the coach community, um, you know, it's, it's a great ecosystem to be a part of, and uh, you know, we certainly appreciate the opportunity. Definitely. And if anybody has any questions about this episode or any of the others, don't hesitate to call us at 415-574-6659.